This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. eternal life in heaven. That hope is not in the government. It's not in the money you have in your bank. The hope is not in the thing. The hope is in the person, the person, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Verse 19, it says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. An anchor's job is to hold fast. The entire ship relies on its ability to set itself into the sand and not move, no matter what weather or storm may come against it. In our own lives, we can choose a flimsy anchor. We can set our hope on money, fame, the security of our family, or any other worldly thing. But Pastor Eddie reminds you today that the only anchor that will hold fast no matter what is Jesus. No other person or thing is strong enough to weather every storm. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 as he continues his message, The Supremacy of Christ. Right, So she said, okay, here's Hagar. Now, God made a covenant. We're going to talk a little bit about that. That's the reason why they multiplied, and we're going to get to that. But, but understand this. Another thing, we look at God fulfilling this promise to Abraham. Credible story. When God gave that promise and he fulfilled the promise, it had nothing to do with Abraham. It wasn't dependent on Abraham at all. It wasn't dependent on what he did, what he didn't do. It wasn't because he was faithful, because you know, he blew it a few times. If you study... But it was all because of God. That promise, that covenant that God made to Abraham was all the Lord. You know, we see that in Genesis 15. You know, Genesis 15, that very important verse that said that he believed it was counted unto Abraham as righteousness. In that same chapter, the Lord said, well, okay, now, Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get a heifer. I want you to get a goat. I want you to get a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And cut it in half, and that's what they would do. Now, this, what the Lord is telling him to do is, is, is not only in Scripture, but in ancient times, this is how they would, put, you know, draw a contract, if you will. They didn't have, like, lawyers nowadays and signing things, you know. But they did was, okay, we're going to make an agreement between you and I, a covenant, a contract. And so that we know that you will keep your end of the bargain, I'll keep my end of the bargain. We're going to cut these pieces of animals, and you're going to see the carcasses are going to be on one on each side. And the blood is flowing between the carcasses. And with each one, each party will walk right through the blood. And then the other one will walk right through the blood the other direction. Sometimes they say that's how we get the word tied or not. Or, but this is where we get the term cutting a deal. Okay, they're cutting a deal. You keep your end of the contract and I'll keep my end of the contract. However, this is what makes this amazing. When the Lord told Abraham to get these animals, these carcasses to confirm the contract, to make the contract, to make the covenant. Abraham fell into a deep sleep. 
he fell into a deep sleep. And then it went on to say, Genesis 15, verses 17, 18, it goes like this. And it came to pass after Abraham fell asleep, he cut these carcasses in half. When the sun went down and it was dark, and that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On that same day, the Lord made a covenant to Abram. And that was his name before his name was Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Can you imagine living life, you know, 75 years, your name means exalted father. Can you imagine people in the community, friends, neighbors, Abraham, what's your name? Um, what's your name? Abram. <laughs> Where are your kids, Abram? Can you imagine he had to live like that? God changed his name later on to Abraham, which means father of a great multitude. And so God himself, when his name was Abram, God himself walked through the carcasses. He walked through because it was solely dependent on the Lord. It had nothing to do with Abraham. That's why when Abraham uh, laid with Hagar, they started Ishmael, the Ishmaelites, the Arab nations, even to this day, are multiplying. Because that was the promise God gave to Abraham. I will multiply your descendants. I will multiply your seed. Abraham messed up. It had nothing to do with Abraham. I made the covenant. I walked through the carcasses. It was a one-way covenant. It had nothing to do with Abraham. Even if he messed up. And did he mess up? Yes. Are we seeing the results of that sin today? Yes. There's no peace in the Middle East. There never will be peace in the Middle East until Christ comes. Okay, and that's the reason it was God is solely on God. And this is important for you and I. Now, we serve a God that doesn't lie. We serve a God that keeps his promise. We serve a God that keeps an oath. He, and he keeps everything that he says. I don't know about you, but that I feel amazed and blown away by that, that we serve and worship a God who is faithful, that he is faithful to his word despite of you. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. He is faithful. We serve a God that's alive and he is faithful. And it, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. He said, if we are faithless, and it's not, it's really since. Since we are faithless, because we are. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And what an awesome thing it is to know that we serve a God that when he makes his promise, like when he says he's coming soon, believe it or not, he's coming soon. Believe it or not, and believe everything in the word of God. That's why we study it. That's why we reverence it. That's why we live by it. Because it's true. There's nothing in the Bible that's a lie. There's nothing in the Bible that's untrue. Everything in the scripture is true. Amen? Amen means so be it. So, so be it. It is. Verse 16, it says, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath, an oath, a pledge, for confirmation is for them at the end, of all disputes. So when you make a pledge, meaning it should be the final, you know, the final word. And in, in the Greek, uh, Greco-Roman uh, uh, times in the world, they would swear, uh, they would make an oath, they'll make a pledge, okay, to deities, they'll make a pledge to kings or or emperors. And uh, when we go to when we go to the court, you know, they make a pledge. I'm going to say the truth. So help me God, right? That what I'm about to say, the statement, this is a pledge. And, and so the appeal of God for confirmation that they are going, what they're going to say when they, when they say that is going to be true. 
And so without any question, an oath is pretty much binding. The statement I'm about to say, like when you go to a notary, right? It's not a swearing. You're going to a notary. Do you, do you affirm, do you pledge that what you're about to sign here in this document is true? Yes, that is my signature. That's, you know, I need, and, and they'll look at you, sign it, and they notarize it, right? It's a pledge. Hear what it says, verse 17. Thus God determined to show more abundantly, He's going to add to this now. We're talking in addition to the promise of God. In addition. He said, thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Who are the heirs of promise? You and I. All have placed our faith in Christ. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heir of promise. The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So God's word is enough. God's promise is enough, but in addition to that, he adds an oath. He adds an oath. I mean, how much more do you need? I just need his word. Hey, this is of the Lord. I don't need him to write. If he promised something, great. That's because he wants to do something. And he wants to pledge and say, Lord, that's okay. So we know that both God's promises, both his promises and his oath are immutable, unchangeable, irreversible. God never changes. We change. We change definition between a man and a woman. We have a problem. We can't even figure that out. It's so simple. We change clothing. We change all kinds of things, but God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. If you're Italian, you would say Malachi, but it's not Malachi. It's Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 6. It says, for, it says, the Lord says, for I am the Lord. I do not change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, oh, that didn't go well. <laughs> Can you imagine? And usually some, you know, skeptics would say, well, God said he was sorry he created man before the flood. That's why he broke the flood. No, he's sorry for man. If you read it well, he is sorry for man. Not that he's sorry. God knew that that would happen. God knew that Adam and Eve would sin. Why? Because his love. Because his grace. It's very simple. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ. We're not talking about the earthly Christ. Remember, Jesus was there in the beginning. The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was there in the beginning, and the Word became flesh. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He has no beginning. He has no end. And he's the same always. And we can actually, we know, we can absolutely be sure of God's unchanging character. His purpose is sure. God would never change his mind. And we think that this world, oh, you know what? You know, we read the Bible. Oh, it's outdated. Uh, it, it doesn't change. God doesn't change. It doesn't change. It's outdated, but it stands true today. As a matter of fact, we see that it is really needed today more than ever. And we think that our culture has changed. Our views have changed. People have changed. The world has changed. And because everything has changed, that God has to change. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This word, the word of God, is still applicable for us today than ever before. Okay? So God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. Okay? Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God in him are what? Yes, and in him, amen. So, it's good to know that we believe in God, worship God who keeps his promises. Verse 18, he said, By that by two immutable, unchanging things, his promises and his oath, his pledge, in which it is impossible for God to lie. You know, 
There's two things that's impossible for God, to lie. And then we read Psalms, it says he will, he will not remember our sins anymore if we come confess them. Now, it's not that God can't do it. It's just not his nature to do it. There's a difference. It's not in his nature to do it. Romans chapter 3, verse 4, he said, let God be true, but every man a liar. So it is impossible for man, for God to lie. And then he goes on to say we, including himself, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The hope set before us, Christ, eternal life in heaven. That hope is not in the government. It's not in the money you have in your bank. The hope is not in the thing. The hope is in the person, the person, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Verse 19, it says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, anchored to our souls. The writer of Hebrew gives us another nautical term uh, to describe that we're anchored at, we're anchored to the soul. He's the anchor to our soul. My heart, my, my soul, you know, we have a trichotomy of us as believers in Christ. So well, there's a trichotomy of the human, human being. We have the flesh, we have the soul, and we have the spirit. Okay, we're all fleshly, right? We're all here, right? Flesh, bones, and then we have the soul. That's your consciousness. That's who you are, your character, everything about you. Now, you know how some people say, oh, I want to look into your eyes. I can look into your soul. Stay away from that person, okay? Lay hands on them, okay? Throw water. Hey, get, wake up. <laughs> it's not going to work on me, okay? <laughs> Only God looks at my soul. And then you have the spirit. Now, here's the important part, the spirit. That's why, you know, we, we always say, Jesus said, you must be born again. Because Adam and Eve, you know, Jesus, the Lord said, if you eat of the fruit, you shall what? Surely die. We shall surely die. Did they die physically? No. They die spiritually. Okay? So there are those who are dead spiritually and those who are alive spiritually. The only ones that are alive spiritually are the ones that have been born again. That's why we need to be born again. Born again spiritually. You're already here. You've already been born, right? You need to come out of a test tube from a factory. You were born. You're a human being, right? So that's why you need to be born again. So here's, here, you've heard this before, but if you're born once, you die twice. You're born once, you die twice. What does that mean? You're born flesh out of your mother's womb. You die twice physically and then eternal damnation. Okay? But if you're born again physically and spiritually, you only die once. Because you're going to die physically, but now because you're born spiritually, you're born again. And God gave us that picture. You remember, God put Adam in a deep sleep, right? And when, what did he, and to create Eve out of his rib, Adam's Eve. So, you know, people, you know, we're all God's creation. You know, what people misinterpret, say we're all God's children. No, 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 no. That's not biblical. The only way you're a child of God is if you're born again of God. You see, because if not, you're God's creation. You're out of the rib of Adam or you're out of the rib of Christ. You see, when God, Christ was crucified, right? The Roman took a spear and, and, and hit him on the side, right? He said blood and water came out. I guess there's a picture of a woman giving birth, right? Water, back, birth. So out of the rib of Adam, naturally, God created us. But we see out of the rib of Christ, you can see that picture. We're born again through the blood of Christ. And so here he's talking about the anchor to the soul, he is the anchor of our soul. He's, he's our hope. Now, this anchor, you know, we, we looked at another nautical term in, in chapter 2 when he said drifting away, right? Now, he's, he's pointing to the anchor. We need to be anchored in Christ. And that's the picture he gives here. Now, just some 
extra, you know, historical, archaeological help with this area, um, you know that the the anchor was one of the symbols along with the, uh, I can see if I could pronounce it right, the fish, Iticus, Iticus, whatever it is, the fish, the fish. Well, I know it's fish. <laughs> I know it's fish. But these two, I know how to say cheeseburger very well. These two, these two symbols are found in the catacombs of Rome. Because these are the symbols that Christians use uh, to give a sign that, hey, okay, they found these symbols etched on the catacombs where Christians would hide from Rome because of the persecution. So this fits with the background of the book of Hebrews, okay? Hebrews, were what, who, who were they? They were Jewish believers who found their faith in Jesus Christ. And they would use this. As a sign to say, hey, we're Christians. Sometimes they'll etch it on the door or the fish, right? I'm not going to pronounce the word, the fish, right? Now, it's abbreviated in Greek letters, but in the Greek letters is an acronym for fish. um, And it means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior in the Greek. And so that was a sign that if you went to a door or you went to a house and you saw that symbol, okay, we're believers. We don't have to hide. So the anchor was something that, you know, who knows? It could have been, uh, you know, something that the rite of Hebrews uh, kind of put together, or maybe the rite of Hebrews, you know, knew that this was a symbol that they were using. And so he just connects it with Christ. He connects it with Christ. That's why you have those nautical terms, you, you know, in chapter 2, drifting away, anchor. And he's going to give us some more. So let's go back. Hebrews chapter two, 6, let's look at verse 19 again. It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters, here it is, which enters the presence. It's in caps in your Bible. That means because speaking of Christ, the Lord Behind the veil, behind the veil, that give you a picture of what? The Holy of Holies, right? Where, verse 20, where the forerunner has entered for us. Now, the word forerunner, you're probably thinking of John the Baptist. Yeah, he was a forerunner of Christ. But here, this is also another nautical term. The forerunner was a term used, it's in the Greek. It was used to describe one of those smaller boats that when the big boat couldn't really throw their anchor or make their way into the harbor, they would use the smaller boat that would actually connect the big boat and sometimes put the anchor in for the big boat. So you see the picture? It's as, Christ, you know, Christ is the anchor of our soul. He is bringing us behind the veil, connecting us to the Holy of Holies of God. And he brings that picture. Okay, just like the small boat, not that God is small, but it could be, hey, if you want to give it a picture, the boat, the, the boat is small, you know, speaking of Christ, but he's bigger, but that's the church. And he's bringing it behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. We're being anchored to Christ. And he's anchoring us so we could be in the holy of holies with the Lord. So he gives this picture. They understand what he's saying. They understand what's, oh yeah, I get the illustration. You see, we probably don't get, I don't get it because I don't, I like to stay in shore to be honest, you know. I don't mind going on a boat. I just don't, I never had the time. But anyway, I don't understand any of this nautical, you know, terminology or whatever it is. But they understand it. It was their lifehood. This is how they caught fish. This is how they, they, they made a living. And so he's giving them that picture. And he's giving the picture of Jesus Christ going into the Holy of Holies. This is where the high priest would go. 
and would atone for the sins of the world. And so the writers, the, the, the first readers of Hebrews are, are picturing this. Say, yeah, that veil. Oh, you're talking about the veil? Yeah, where the high priest goes in. Yeah, once a year to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel, right? But the church is still standing now. There's no sign that, uh, yeah, that is, it happened after 70 AD when the, uh, the temple was destroyed. And you can see that it wasn't by coincidence because to this day, since 70 AD to now, the Jews have not had a high priest to go into the Holy Holies for them to sacrifice for them because Jesus Christ is the great high priest. You see, he is the great high priest. He's already behind the veil. The veil of the, the temple has been torn in two from top to bottom. And Jesus is that anchor. He's the anchor to our soul. He is bringing us in. He's the hope that we have. We live in a world where things are changing, where we're going through waves and trials and tribulation, but we are anchored onto Jesus. We're anchored on Jesus and we have a promise and an oath that we will be in the presence of God one day, one day very soon. This is the great high priest, Jesus. So he goes at the very end of verse 20. He says, even Jesus, at the end of verse 20, having become high priest, Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You remember when we first started chapter 6, there was two parts about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The Melchizedekian priesthood compared to the Arianic priesthood of Aaron. And we're going to now continue with that. This time, the writer of Hebrews, he had a pause as if he's ready to explain the significance, the importance that Jesus Christ is the great high priest forever. But they were dull of hearing. They were dull of hearing. So he had to pause and say, you guys should be teaching now. You're having milk. You haven't matured spiritually. And there's a danger there because not only you could drift away and then go to unbelief, but you could fall away. It's dangerous. Where else can you get a salvation? It's not through the sacrificial system of the temple. It's only through Jesus Christ. And he had to pause. Now we're ending with here in verse 20 with Jesus, the high priest, in the order of Melchizedek. When we get to chapter 7, we're going to now continue on uh, studying and learning what the writer of Hebrew has to say as Jesus, as not only the high priest, but the great high priest. Amen? We have a God that we serve that does not go back on his word. What he says It's more than written on stone because he said it. I believe it because it's in the word. I believe it. He keeps his promises. He keeps his oath. He is the God that never, ever, ever changes. And that's securing. That's so secure for me. And I'm so grateful that we have a God that doesn't change because God, hey, I changed my mind, Eddie. You know, you're just short and ugly. I'm sorry. I'm not going for you anymore. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, God, no, you're going to heaven. Because you believe in my son and I love you. His love never changes. His love never changes. His plan is to come back. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'm coming again to where I am. You may be also. Amen. Friends, we're so glad you decided to join us today here on Running the Race. Pastor Eddie has been taking us through the book of Hebrews in a series titled, Jesus is Better. Within its pages, you hear about great people of faith. Do you feel like you could live a life like these great people of faith? You realize they weren't perfect, right? Our hope is that these messages are empowering you to see and believe that you can be a person of great faith too. 
One way to grow in your faith and understanding of God is by joining up with others who love and serve God. Here's Jessica with an invitation just for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. For the rest of us, remember that you can find more messages from Pastor Eddie on that same website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited to learn more from the book of Hebrews. For today, our time has come to a close, but we'll be back again next time and hope you will too. Come back to hear Pastor Eddie share more from this great book of Hebrews, here on Running the Race. 